with Sam Ekstrom. We just got home from TCO Performance Center, and we are ready to preview Minnesota Vikings and Kansas City Chiefs preseason game number three. Sam, uh, let's just start out with the things that matter and the things that don't. And then we can go position by position and break down who we're looking at, what battles are still ongoing, what we're looking for in terms of 53-man roster and stuff. I think the performance of the first team does not matter. And I think that you disagree with me on this, but I believe that the health of the 50 uh, of the starters is the most important and even the health of the second teamers, but there's more to play for there. I think if they get on the field, they put their jerseys on, right? They do some plays. Nobody gets injured. Then I will never think about this game ever again. That's how I feel about Vikings chiefs as it pertains to the first teamers, Kirk cousins, first team offense, whoever plays on the first team defense. We know that Thielen's not playing. Jefferson's not playing. I don't think Patrick Peterson or Daniil Hunter are going to get in this game. So everyone else just stay safe out there and you will have accomplished what you needed to accomplish in Kansas city. You're going to risk collar a winless preseason. You're okay. Tolerating that risk. Unreal. This is a Mike Zimmer coach team. I am. Yes. I'm okay with it. If they go over three, I, again, I, if you asked me, I'm, you know, this, that I love talking about old games and details and everything else. If you asked me to remember stuff from past preseasons, I'd be like, I I don't know. I don't know. I covered it that night, but I immediately washed it from my memory because it meant nothing. That's how I feel about this too. Uh, rabbit trail here but so i was on vacation as you know as my light just burned out here i was on vacation on saturday i missed the second preseason game should i endure watching the all 22 back of that game no of course not no (laughs) definitely not now i mean look if you want to see the second string linebackers make some plays then I would say, sure. If, if there's somebody specific that you want to look at, if you're trying to decide. And for me, uh, there were a few players that I thought might be on the cusp on the 53 where things changed, where like Chris Boyd, for example, I thought, uh, okay, maybe they'll cut him. Maybe they'll keep him. And then he's out there starting across from Bashad Breeland. Like, okay, not only are they keeping him, but he's gotten past Cam Dantzler. That stuff is interesting, and we're going to be looking for more of that in this game uh, because they're clearly not treating it like the old fourth preseason game. They're treating it more like the old third preseason game. So there's some stuff to look at there, the second teamers, of course. But as far as should you watch Kirk Cousins average four yards a pass (laughs) because he's trying not to get hurt? No, of course not. Yeah, so I'm not concerned about the results of this third preseason game specifically but I am alarmed by the overall body of work of the first team. And unfortunately, playing only a couple of drives is not going to right all of those wrongs. I think that the first team has been disjointed all of camp. Um, their performance on, you know, from, from what I've seen and read, like I said, haven't seen every playback yet, um, was a pitiful performance. And I've, you know, I've seen the play-by-play. I've seen the the box score. It was check down Charlie all night for for Kirk Cousins, even yielding like a Mike Zimmer dig, like, hey, we we can't do that twenty times every drive. We got to work the ball downfield. So the caveat is, they haven't had Jefferson for a couple weeks. Thielen most recently banged up with uh, with the thigh bruise. He had something earlier in camp that kept him out for a little bit. 
Um, Dalvin Cook has done very little just because they they really handle him with kid gloves. So they haven't had all their weapons. And Kirk Cousins chuckled about that today and said, eh, it's a good challenge to try to score uh, with the backups in there, get out in the preseason. And he sort of laughed it off. Well, I think that might be a legitimate thing. I mean, if, if they've got injuries in the regular season, they're going to have to cope with that. And if it's not really a laughing matter if they can't score with their immediate backups because that is a legitimate scenario that could come to pass. So I am concerned about the body of work. And, you know, maybe if they went out and scored two touchdowns on Friday, I wouldn't be as concerned if I saw that rhythm. Um, granted, we're not going to see those top two receivers, so it won't be exactly a realistic look. But I'd be encouraged if I saw Kirk Cousins take a group of backups, essentially, and do well with them. Um, I think that would be a positive step. If Kansas City was game planning or cared at all, then I would agree. But I don't think that they are, and I don't think that they do. Mike now, Hughes the, revenge. I was going to say the Mike Hughes revenge game is maybe interesting. If he goes out there and gets a pick six or something, we'll all say, oh, no, you got rid of Mike Hughes, at, at, right? Um, who I guess is healthy at this moment, and we'll see if he actually plays and ends up starting for Kansas City uh, that's one that we'll keep an eye on. I assumed when they traded him that that meant he was broked and he was never going to be the guy that we thought he was going to be when he was drafted. But put that aside, I assume that Kansas City is not throwing the kitchen sink at the Minnesota Vikings in this game. So even if he throws a touchdown, Kirk Cousins does to KJ Osborne, I know that that would make you happy since that is your Mr. Mankato guy. And I think he's in the lead for it. Um, for Mr. Mankato for this year. I guess we can discuss that as well, but, you know, because this is the real last opportunity. I've always thought you name it right after the cuts, which are coming next Tuesday, and we'll be able to preview after this game. But uh, aside from that, though, if, you know, Smith-Marset goes out there, does something good, or K.J. Osborne or Ole Udo looks good, um, it still probably doesn't tell us how they're going to play real football. The big problem last year with the interior of the offensive line is that they couldn't handle any stunts or twists or blitzes. And we don't know if they can, and we won't know if they can. Sometimes a team will even tell another team, can you please blitz us a few times just to get some work? Like that's how sort of ridiculous this is. Adam Zimmer is calling the defense, not Mike Zimmer. And so the first teams, I, I don't think we learn a whole lot. Your concern about how they look in practice, I think is absolutely legitimate. It's just, does this game really tell us anything? So let's talk about the things that I do think matter. Uh, starting with the backup quarterbacks though. Kellen Mond and Jake Browning have just looked incompetent in these first two games. And I know that there are people who are trying to kind of parse out the good things of Kellen Mond. Well, there was a good throw there or a good scramble there. But if he's still playing the entire second half of this preseason game and coming in after Jake Browning, it tells us he's still QB three. Now, my question for you is, is there anything that can happen in this game with Jake Browning or Kellen Mond that would make you confident that they could fill in for Kirk Cousins for several games and win if needed? Or if there's nothing, then are you on the train of getting a veteran when there's cuts? Probably not. Now, so your second question is a tougher one because acquiring that veteran is going to be more difficult. Mike Zimmer's alluded to the monetary situation. I, what, I, I think that means draft picks like because it's not going to cost that much money 
um, to get someone, you know, like CJ Beathard to come over here. But um, uh, digressing from that, from the semantics, um, Browning, I think, has a better chance because he just knows what he's doing more than Kellen Mond. I mean, when you when the coach repeatedly describes someone as working in slow motion, I mean, alarm bells going off everywhere, right? Because this was not last preseason where there were no games and there was no meaningful offseason program. I think those words would make sense if it was 2020 and Kellen Mond had missed out on everything. But it's 2021. Like, he had the whole offseason. He had all the practices in in OTAs. And, Collar, maybe a little vindication for us. We were saying back then, give the guy some reps, right? Like, in OTAs, they're, they're relegating him to QB4 behind Nate Stanley, and he's not doing anything. Those might have come in handy now because, you know, obviously Nate Stanley's not going to be your backup quarterback now. So um, I'm concerned about Kellen Mond. And if he does do do great in the game, he's doing it against the threes. Uh, Browning's probably going to get the chance against the twos, which is slightly more meaningful. Those are key backups. But he has looked pretty pitiful in the games. But he's looked better in practice. And practice does carry some weight in the evaluation. And the coaches have been saying, we like what we're seeing from him here. We thought he did really well when Kirk Cousins was out on the COVID list. So, you know, let, like, let's get him up to speed in the games. Um, so I guess if he could put it together a little bit, that would be slightly more encouraging to me. But um, I'm still going to be concerned about a longer sample size with Jake Browning. I think he gets I think his lack of arm talent gets exposed in that time. You can only, you know, game plan a quarterback so much like we saw what what the Vikings put forth when they asked Sean Mannion to start a game. It was very vanilla because he just didn't have a ton of natural ability. And I think that's the case with Browning. So to your second question, would they go after a veteran QB? I mean, I think you got to look. I think you got to look at who gets cut. And, you know, I know you're on the Beathard bandwagon. You're off the Browning bandwagon and on the Beathard bandwagon. And Jake is very upset at you. But that might be what they have to do. (laughs) The Browning bus is what it was. The Browning bus. Okay, I apologize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Beathard bus is the place to be. And uh, I don't know. I'm I'm more on the uh, the Minchu um, motor motor home. Minshew yeah, motor home. Yeah, something. Yeah, it. something like that. Although I'm guessing he'll he'll still be the backup in Jacksonville behind Lawrence. But uh, yeah, I think you got to watch the wire at minimum. Yeah, for sure. Uh, real quick, look at your phone. I sent you a quick message on a technical thing. Just real quick. Sorry about that, everyone. Uh, so I don't think that there's a whole lot that either one of these quarterbacks could do that would change my mind in terms of like how they perform against Kansas City for what we've seen in the broader sense. Because the the two preseason games, I, I asked Mike Zimmer this today, like, what does it mean with the preseason games to you in terms of your evaluation? And one of the things that he talked about was, hey, I can actually see guys when they have to prepare at the stadium and when the lights are on and when they have to put on real pads and everything else. And I think the difference between what we've seen from Jake Browning when he is practicing, which is under very comfortable circumstances, um, versus what we've seen from him in the games. Um, it, it's just so much different. And even at the preseason speed, the preseason speed is very much different where 
the other team is trying to come get you and not stopping when they get near you and letting you finish a play. I remember Clint Kubiak talking about how Mike Zimmer let them finish plays. Well, uh, they're not finishing plays uh, really, truly, because Daniil Hunter would have ripped your head off and thrown it to us on the sideline for half of these plays. He's been unbelievable in these practices getting after the quarterbacks. So when Jake Browning's not afraid of Daniil Hunter actually hitting him, he's much more comfortable. He's much more in command. And if you mess up, you can just say, okay, everybody stop. All right. You were supposed to run that route. All right. Call it back. Well, you can't do that. Um, it's like I play on the chess app and there's a take back button. And so you could be like, Oh, well, I just left uh, my queen unprotected and they took it. So take back, right? There's no take backs when it comes to these preseason games. And what we've seen is somebody that isn't even of a Sean Mannion level of competence out there. So I think that even if both quarterbacks go out there and perform really well, um, that they should still be looking at. I've brought up CJ Beathard because it just makes sense. He played in a similar offense. He's a third string quarterback, but I, like there's the whole, you ever seen the meme that's like, change my mind. I, I don't think that you can, I, I could be sitting there with that, um, that sign that says change my mind, but they could almost do anything. Three touchdown drives from Jake Browning just doesn't really change my mind from the bigger picture because I'm, I'm also weighing the, the talent level and just the, the skill level that Browning has. I respect the way he approached this off season and the fact that he was able to, through this entire thing, hold off a third round pick quarterback. But that I think says more about what we've seen from Mond who, by the way, I focused mostly on Browning here, but even Mond you're playing in the fourth quarter. We know that doesn't matter that much to them. So if he puts up three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, well, we saw Kyle Sloter do that and they didn't really weigh that very much. So I, I think that, after this is over on Tuesday, you look at all the people who got cut. There will be one or two veteran backup quarterbacks and you just sign one for one year, $1 million. Or you do the thing where you get through the first week and wait till week two. And then the guy's contract isn't guaranteed. Just do that. So you can feel like if cousin has to miss one single game that the guy gives you a chance to win. Yeah. I don't disagree with that at all. Um, you know, it's, it, it's kind of, indicative of maybe some misplaced faith in in Browning or maybe some misplaced faith in Mon that the team didn't do this earlier in the offseason because I think everybody expected it somebody to come in and just surround Mond with with more veterans I mean it's even if you had made that that signing before drafting Mond it still would have been good to have that person hang around and help nurture him you know through the ropes as he comes into the NFL I mean it's hard, I think, to, you know, coach up a young quarterback when it is such a competitive singular position. Jake Browning doesn't owe Kellen Mond anything. Like, he doesn't need to coach Kellen Mond through this. And and Mond then missed, you know, 10 days on the COVID list too. So uh, he was really beset kind of early in this training camp and just hasn't had a lot of rhythm at any point, at any time we've seen him, and in limited opportunities as well. Um this is a pretty important breaking news item, but do you want to play 20 questions with who the Vikings uh, just waved? <laughs> oh, let's see. So you nailed it the other day when we were guessing who they would have waved. Let me see here. Um, can I get an offense or defense? Sure. It's on offense and it is not actually important. Oh, okay. Uh, let's see here. Is it Edo Smith? 
Right after they signed him? No. I, I don't know. I mean, they did that with Stephen Ridley. They signed <laughs> Stephen Ridley and cut him three days later. Uh, guy on offense that probably it wasn't making the team anyway. Wap Fillier? Nope. You get two more guesses, and then you run out of – you actually, no, you get one more guess. It's Family more Feud, okay. three X's. Um, I'm thinking offensive line here, but I'm sort of stumbling on who it would be – uh drew samia no i'm sorry the other team gets a chance to ski to, uh, to steal what, was i close what's, what's your answer what's your answer evan kazarchik oh okay oh, okay so i got close there at the end yeah um but samia has been hurt and i thought there was a chance of like waived ir kind of thing um because there's just never really been anything there but sorry evan remember when we said he'll have to make us learn his name well he didn't so I'll never think about this again. Let's talk about some other positions outside of the quarterback spot, because I've spent the last few days on the show talking with Chris Trapasso and Anthony Tresh sort of about their feelings on Mon's slow start. So we won't focus as much on that. Let's go with uh, the offensive line then for what we want to see now that poor Evan Kasarchek got the ax a little bit early here, but I mean, the first team offensive line, I don't really care that much about. Just don't get Kirk Cousins hurt and you've done your job for the night. Don't throw too many passes Vikings anyway, because you don't want to get anyone, uh, let's say thigh bruised, um, for example. But in terms of the depth chart behind the starters, I think there's really only one guy that we're all watching to see how he plays. And that's Wyatt Davis. And I think that they should, this is, would be my opinion, not what I'm guessing necessarily. Uh, they should just play Wyatt Davis right after Ole Udo comes out of the game. I think that's what they should do. Don't even bother playing Dakota Dozier. Sorry if that makes it obvious you're going to cut him. But at this point, there's no more reason to have Dakota Dozier on the football team. And there's lots of reason to get reps for Wyatt Davis. That is my number one and only thing on the offensive line that I am interested in. Yeah, and every time we ask about Wyatt Davis, it's usually couched in something negative. You know, like they say he's he he's got, you know, good strength, but he's still learning how to bend. Uh, he's a nice, quiet kid, but he's still learning the NFL game. That was today's response from Mike Zimmer. So there's clearly not quite something clicking with him. Um, it's honestly felt a lot like Drew Samia's training camp, his rookie year where he was buried with the threes. He was not performing well. He was not getting a lot of love from the coaching staff. And unfortunately, it feels the same way with Davis. So the only part I disagree with you on here is Dakota Dozier's future on the team, because what is their guard depth? Like Mason Cole has only been a center in training camp. Drew Samia is not very good and injured. Kyle Hinton? Like is who is going to play guard if somebody gets hurt? That's my biggest my my biggest argument for keeping Dozier is that he is a veteran body that will come in and you know even in the sixteen horrible games last year there were a couple pretty good ones. Um, that's what you hope for with Dozier, and then he's going to know how to run block. He's going to know the offense. I think he makes the team, but I mean I think Wyatt Davis, who obviously is also going to make the team is making a push to see if he can be trusted at all. Like he wants, he's trying to say, Hey, I can be your backup guard. So far. He's not, he's not your backup guard even, which is really disappointing for a third round pick. Um, 
could be like last season where, you know, the draft pick Cleveland didn't really get it together until midseason. Um, but Davis seems even further behind that. So I'd be a little bit concerned about any injuries on that offensive line, which by the way, caller, I know we don't want to put too much stock in preseason or pro football focus in small sample sizes, but offensive line, other than a pretty bad whiff by Rashad Hill and, um, you know, Dakota Dozier's safety in the first game, the grades have been pretty good. The protection has been okay. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. Oli Udo. Don't do that to yourself. I'm excited uh, about Oli Udo. Even the people from Pro Football Focus will tell you that the preseason grades are not going to transfer over. Um, especially, like, if you're DeForest Buckner, are you caring to, like, demolish a Vikings interior lineman when you could get hurt? No, you're kind of going like, uh, okay, let's play patty cake here, and then I'll go home and worry about week one. I think is how this always goes. Uh, but, I mean, did Oliudo or the line fall on their face? No, but it's really going to be determined over the first four weeks of the season what we're going to see for the rest of the year from the offensive line. So that one, I'm not I'm not taking the bait there and saying, well, Oh, maybe man, be I set the hook. The, I, I, I was reeling it in, doing a little trolling. Didn't work. I, I moved here in 2016 to Minnesota, and I have not seen a good offensive line yet. Even in 2017, it was like 18th in pass blocking by PFF. Mm -hmm. So until uh, same with uh, Evan, whatever his name was, I have to be shown that it can be a competent offensive line in real games before I'm going to buy it because you still have far too many questions about it. But on the matter of uh, Wyatt Davis, I guess I might go to that place where I say, can it be worse than Dakota Dozier? Now, I think you're thinking the same way that they're thinking, which is we got to be able to trust the guy. We got to be able to trust the guy. So maybe there's something there in terms of processing or technique that uh, Wyatt Davis is not doing. But if you're going to tell me that Wyatt Davis would immediately be the worst offensive lineman in the league, if he had to play an extended period of time, which Dakota Dozier was last year, then I'm, just to say, I, I don't know. But we did see, now it would be a fair counterpoint to say, we did see that from Drew Samia. Drew Samia was legitimately worse than Dakota Dozier. So maybe there's like a line of thinking there that says, oh, you actually can be worse if you have no idea what you're doing. I haven't seen over the first couple of games though with, uh, with Davis for me to say he has no idea what he's doing. I mean, I think he's looked fairly comfortable out there but um, mm -hmm. they must feel like something is really missing so i'll be interested to see if they don't play somebody who you would think why are they not playing that person that usually means they're getting cut is how it goes into this i i think i think because now the structure is different from the preseason but i feel like that will be the case if dozier just doesn't play and davis plays a ton um but would it be surprising if they went with Dozier? Uh, of course not. Now there is a tight end battle that has not been very good behind Irv Smith and Tyler Conklin. He was running on the side today, but Tyler Conklin does not seem like he's a hundred percent. He'll have a few weeks before the season starts, but uh, my pick for Mr. Mankato, Zach Davidson, I just, have not seen it at any point. And Shane Zilstra, I think catches the ball really well, but I'm not sure that he would be ready to actually block people. So this tight end situation where it was deep over the last few years is now very thin. Yeah. I'm upset at myself for kind of losing my nerve because I got spooked 
for a while because I was a Brandon Dillon guy. I went into camp saying Dillon knows how to block. They're going to take him. He's going to be the tight end three. But then there was a period there where Davidson was getting all the work. And it may have been experimental in nature just to see if he can do it. And every time we ask about Zach Davidson, they always want more. They are always saying, yeah, he he needs to show more in the first preseason game, needs to show more after the second preseason game. And now, and he graded pretty poorly in that second game too. So they really want to see a lot from him in the third game. And they specifically mentioned blocking, which is, that's that's what I originally thought was going to be a problem for him. And that seems to be the case. Brandon Dillon, you know, nice story. His first year might've even won Mr. Mankato for making the team out of a D2 school as an undrafted free agent. He has not been flashy at all as a pass catcher, but maybe he can do a little bit more for you as a blocker. I'm just, my, my problem is I'm running out of roster spots here. Like I can't keep five running backs, four tight ends, three quarterbacks, six wide receivers. Cause you can make a case to keep an extra at every position every year. Um, but I think they have to choose between those two tight ends. And I would still rather have a fifth round pick who's like tall and can catch the ball well than the third year tight end who's smaller and is marginally better at blocking. I, I think you need to go for upside sometimes when you have to flip a coin, which is why I would go with Davidson and keep Zilstra on the practice squad and give Dylan a, a heartfelt farewell. Hey everybody, the season is on the way. Fans are going back to stadiums, so you have to be ready with the best Minnesota football gear. That's why you have to check out Soda Stick. I saw a ton of Soda Stick gear around training camp. I expect to see it in the stadium as well. There are so many cool designs on hats, t-shirts, and hoodies for the fall weather, including the John Randall design that is extremely cool. There's also the straight cash homie Randy Moss homage, can't stop the Thielen hats, and a personal favorite, the old video game designs that Tecmo fans will appreciate. Check it all out at sodastick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com. Everything is screen printed here in Minnesota, and I can tell you that the shirts are comfortable and they last because half of my closet is now Soda Stick at this point. Again, that's sodastick.com, Minnesota sports-inspired goods, and keep your eye out for our Soda Stick giveaways. That's what I was thinking as well. But then even the way Mike Zimmer talked about Davidson today, it was like, ooh. Uh, yeah, makes you yeah, nervous. Right. That doesn't sound like a guy who he's very excited about. I mean, usually there's, even if it's a guy in the bubble, there's, he's done a nice job. We like what he's doing, but maybe there's uh, a lot of players at that position. Like we'll sort of hear it couched a little bit or something. But with Davidson, it's like, yeah, the guy can't block and he's dropped several passes now in the preseason, you got to make some plays. I mean, there was a ball that wasn't a great throw from Kellen Mond, but it also wasn't so terrible. He couldn't have brought it in, or maybe it was Jake Browning uh, in the last game. And then there was the, the play in the end zone in Denver, where he could have reached up and snatched a touchdown. That one went off his hands. So we haven't seen this. Yeah. You're great at the combine, but we haven't seen like the athleticism to make plays. And there are two different kinds of that, right? There's, can you create separation? Can you make moves with your body to contort and catch the football? And we haven't really seen it. So uh, I would not be super shocked if he's just cut and maybe put on the practice squad. This is also a guy who hadn't played football since 2019. And even when he did, didn't have very many college catches or plays really 
actually at central Missouri. So he is very far away. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were concerned someone else would pick him up as a fifth round pick. So maybe they decide to keep him and put Brandon mm-hmm. Dillon on the practice squad if they can. Uh, I don't know how the rules are going to go. We still haven't found this out with the rules for practice squad. Maybe the NFL teams know by now, but uh, I agree with you. I think that's a guy who's like under pressure would be Zach Davidson. You've got to go make a play. Now, how do you think that Everson Griffin impacts what they're going to do on the defensive line and against Kansas city? Who are you looking for? Like, do you have a name that you're saying, Hey, if this guy steps up, maybe he's got a chance to make a good last impression. Yeah. So I originally had five defensive ends um, and I thought one of them was going to have to be Janarius Robinson, the fourth round pick, but he's going to get an injury year, um, which opens up a spot now for Griffin. So, and that's, and that's big because Robinson wasn't going to contribute a whole lot. Griffin will absolutely contribute. So now you have four bona fide contributors. You've got Patrick Jones who gets a free pass as a third round pick. You might have room for one more. And I'd, I do think it's a might. I don't think it's a guarantee, but Mike Zimmer tends to load up the trenches pretty pretty deeply. So I think you get one more, um, and it's going to be either Willikis, Jalen Holmes, um, or Hercules Mata'afa. I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. And I think it needs to be Kenny Willikis. I think so See, too. Yeah, because Hercules Mata'afa and Jalen Holmes have had four chances at this, and it's just never really clicked. They've been willing to cut Hercules Mata'afa before because they didn't like what they saw. Jalen Holmes was one of the most ineffective defensive ends in football last year. And, you know, Mike Zimmer talked about the versatility being important, but Jalen Holmes isn't good inside or outside. I haven't seen that at all. Kenny Willekes, we're going back to that upside thing. This is sort of like his rookie year. He's coming off injury. He's had some flashes. And I think that that's worth investing in compared to someone who's in a contract year in both the cases of Mata Afa and Holmes, who have had a much, much, much greater chance to make an impact and haven't done it. So I go Willikist for sure, um, provided that, you know, things go okay on Friday. I would go Willikist as well, because I think he's just been really good Um, over the last few weeks. It seemed like he was shaking the rust off of the injury early on and we didn't notice him, but then all of a sudden he started to win reps and they even moved him inside in a couple of practice situations. And then in this last game, he gets three pressures on 13 pass rushes, which is obviously not something you can keep up and not against starters, but that at least shows a flash of some potential. And if you go back, there's this weird idea that Kenny Wilkes like isn't a good athlete, but when you go back and look at his performance at the combine above average 40 above average broad jump, which is usually like the explosiveness from a defensive end. And we've seen that from him, that he's got some explosiveness. He's got some power and a little bit of Fadia Denobo a bit uh, ish. Sorry. They got word jumbled there, but a Fadia Denobo ish is how he kind of reminds me of like somebody who is not like particularly huge and is not tall, but can get underneath pads, has some explosiveness to him and might be something. Um, Now we don't know how special teams plays into this, but uh, Jalen Holmes, I don't think is good, but he does have the quote positional versatility. And I'm not sure how much I care about that or buy into that either, because it's like, well, if you're bad at two positions, what does it matter that you know two positions? Uh, And that's kind of how I felt about 
Jalen Holmes and Hercules Mata'afa showed something for, I think maybe a game and a half last year, all the other games he played in, there was nothing really there. So um, they've had him around for several seasons. I, I agree with you. Take the younger guy. Holmes is the only one because of the versatility where there might be some reason to keep him just because you've got your Pierce and Tomlinson and Richardson Watts. And then after that, there's nothing else in terms of your interior. But I guess if you lose two guys there, you're always screwed anyway. Uh, defensive backs. Let's talk about the defensive backfield. The most interesting story here of the DBs, maybe of all of camp, is that Chris Boyd is taking over the spot from Cam Dantzler. Uh, Cam Dantzler has just struggled and has not looked good at all. And I don't think Dantzler's getting cut because of the potential, because of where he was drafted and, and the fact that he had a couple of good games last year, but that what did Adam Zimmer say the one day the bus is leaving the station, like the bus is leaving the station on cam Dantzler. So he's under a ton of pressure in this game to make some plays because I could even see, I mean, it's not crazy to think that if he really struggles in this game too, and, and they don't believe he's had a good camp at all. If they said we'd rather just keep Ty Smith or Perry Nickerson or someone like just, some some guy who's got previous experience instead because you have fallen off the edge of a cliff. Now that's that would be surprising, but this is a roster that has a lot of very tough decisions on. Yeah, I don't think they're cutting Cam Dantzler, but I do think that it it makes them think twice about who the sixth corner would be. And unfortunately, it could be at the expense of someone like Harrison Hand, who we both were impressed with at OTAs and haven't seen nearly as much from in uh, in training camp. And I think early on, we were declaring that, hey, you know, Boyd is is down right on that cut line. We're not sure if he's going to make it. He got banged up one time, and we thought, well, that's it. Like, that, this was his last chance. But, you know, to his credit, here he is. He's made a couple good plays in the preseason games, and it probably speaks a little more to the regression of Dantzler, which is problematic. And I, I think Dantzler hangs on, and he was a starter last year, and – and a third round pick. Um, but, you know, if Harrison Hand isn't doing as well as the team wants to, they might exchange the Harrison Hand spot for one of those veterans, like you mentioned. I was fairly high on Ty Smith going into training camp. He uh, he graded out well in the regular season games where he has played. He's got a couple longer stretches of regular season play where he started, and I think he's done well. So I think Ty Smith could be a guy, but I still look at the way this team usually constructs their rosters. They usually stay a little younger, usually keep those, those day three draft picks around sometimes a year longer than they should. Um, but I don't think that as of today, I still think it's the the six that we've always talked about the, the three starters and then Dantzler hand and Boyd. I just think the hierarchy has changed with Boyd being a uh, first one off the bench and and Mike Zimmer just bluntly saying after the game, Boyd's been better. I mean, flat out didn't mince words at all. Uh, yeah. So Cameron Dantzler definitely kind of uh, on watch right now as he slides down the depth chart from three um, or even two on the depth chart to five right now. Yeah. First day of practice before Bashad Breland came back from his shoulder injury, Cam Dantzler was starting. And now we're talking about him being kind of on the bubble a little bit here. Uh, okay. So we've got linebackers is the only other position and then kicker, but I'll just make the kicker one simple. And then I've got a bigger picture question for you about the chiefs, but um, 
got to make them. <laughs> I mean, there you go. There's my Greg Joseph preview. Like if he doesn't make them, they'll look for someone else. I think uh, I, my guess is that they'll try to even get him some opportunities. I don't know if you do that on purpose, but like, do you run on third and 10 to try to make sure that Greg Joseph gets a couple of kicks in? Uh, haven't been overall super impressed with Greg Joseph. So if they decide to move on, they decide to move on. We've always kind of had that possibility in mind. That's all that needs to be said about the kicker, but the linebackers, Blake Lynch, Troy Dye, Chaz Surratt, these guys are battling for position. And the way that it sounds, Sam, is that Anthony Barr is a big question mark for week one. That would mean Nick Vigil and Blake Lynch at this moment. Uh, what is your confidence that the Vikings can survive a, a long-term or a nagging injury to go along with Anthony Barr? Because if he's not ready for week one, all of a sudden you're immediately into this place where you're wondering, is this a thing that's going to go on throughout the entire season? Yeah, I'm I'm concerned. Um, and Mike Zimmer saying flat out that there's concern about his health. I, I'm thinking soft tissue. Like, is it is it hammy, groin, foot? Like what? Um, which isn't necessarily soft tissue, but what what's happening here? Um, it's pretty hush hush. But all we know is is that he tried to come back a couple times. Like, if you look at the chronology of this, and then he was immediately held out again. So whatever is happening is easily tweaked it's easily aggravated so that that's got the red flags going off in my head can they withstand his loss um as we've always talked about with Barr, his impact is largely intangible but they have just so many kind of uh coverage centric backup linebackers that you know they might even cover a little better than anthony Barr. but will they tackle as well will they blitz as well um, no, you know, are they going to get off double teams and try to wrap up a ball carrier at the second level? I don't know. Um, I do like Nick Vigil. I've appreciated what I've seen from him. And, you know, the, I think it was the first play of the game against the Colts. He dropped in coverage and had a really nice pass breakup. So that's quality. That's good stuff. And if Eric Kendricks is there, that unit will remain at least to some extent, pretty good. Um, and it's a it's a nickel league anyway. You're going to have Mackenzie Alexander in there two thirds of the time, um, and maybe if they don't trust their third linebacker, they just keep Mackenzie in there because Alexander has been a pretty good tackler in his career. Uh, this is where Collar they miss, and it's hard to believe I'm saying this. J. Ron Curse, like <laughs> he was the wild card who could kind of play a little safety, but they used him in the box. He was the big nickel. And I'm not sure they they certainly don't have that at safety right now. And they've they've even used a defensive end in that third linebacker role sometimes in camp with DJ Wanham. So I think if they if they don't trust Blake Lynch, if they don't trust Troy Dye, they'll find ways to work around that. Um, but Blake Lynch, man, out of nowhere, getting accolades from the coaches, best he's ever played, they're saying. And remember, Blake Lynch was a on nobody's radar. And then he plays in the week 16 game against the Saints, a game where the team got bludgeoned. So it was hard to feel positive about any defensive player's performance. But there's obviously something there with Blake Lynch for him to, you know, get elevated number one last year and then to sort of back it up this preseason and then getting the honorary, like getting to sit out in the first preseason game like he didn't even need to play. He was so secure. Um, I think we got to be talking more about Blake Lynch. Well, <clears throat> 
I'll go back to it. Make us talk about Blake Lynch, I guess. Um, we I, He's doing that a little bit here by seeming to hold down that job and being that linebacker number four. Uh, but I think that the answer still is that if Anthony Barr is out for any significant amount of time, you're just in trouble uh, because that means that Eric Hendricks has to be 100% healthy. Uh, that means Nick Vigil has to be um you know, a blitzer, which I'm not sure that he's ever really been. His coverage might be okay, but that's also a leadership position. Like I, I think that there's maybe some people who think that you could just replace Anthony Barr. It'll be fine. Maybe with a playmaker like Eric Wilson, I don't know about someone like Nick Vigil. You're really trying to like hang on for dear life there. And then one layer down is a guy who's essentially never played uh, for Blake Lynch. And I mean, geez, uh, all of a sudden you're like at this place with so many roster spots where you go one layer down and then you're at Blake Lynch. And so even if he's been impressive to the coaching staff, I'm still not buying that this would be fine without Anthony Barr. I think he's a huge part of it. Um, it does help against the run that you have Tomlinson and Pierce in the middle that I do believe when Andre Patterson tells us that helps the linebackers. So uh, that will be worth monitoring just even how those linebackers play again, if they follow up a very good performance against Indianapolis, which made Mike Zimmer feel a lot better about them after crushing them earlier in camp. And then after the first game, he felt very much better. And I think that Troy die outside of one or two plays against Denver has actually looked a lot more competent, but I also saw him get run over by a guard on a screenplay where you're like, yeah, that's kind of what Troy die is going to be for you. So, and then Chaz Surratt is a missile who doesn't know where to point at, at this moment. He's just sort of running at things and he's going to need a little bit of time uh, to figure that out. So it should be, I think, quite concerning for them. If Anthony Barr's injury continues to carry on um, for now, uh, it's uh, something to watch in terms of the competition. Okay. So that was the most hardcore third preseason game breakdown because there actually is a lot to watch. Let me ask you a bigger question though, to kind of end the show here is the Kansas city chiefs right now come into this game saying we're ready to win the super bowl. We're ready to go back and we've got the quarterback to do it. We spent in the off season to fix the offensive line problems that they had in the super bowl, a lot due to injuries. Uh, I think there's still a little light at the wide receiver position, but they've got a good defense They've got one of the top coaches in the world. What could the Vikings do to be the Kansas city chiefs three years from now? How much time do you have? Right. There's a uh, boy. The that's, that's just a different world than, than the Vikings. That's offensive coach. That's generational quarterback talent. Like maybe, Mount Rushmore quarterback talent someday that's like otherworldly speed at the, at the receiver position that's investing in the offensive line. Um, it's, you know, four wide receiver sets at times it's a rotational running back situation where you're not going to over invest in that position. Everything on the offensive side of the ball is a 180 from what this Vikings team does. So it's it's so hard to envision. So I, I think three years from now, I mean, obviously you're talking about a coaching change. You know, you're talking, you're talking about finding a coach that that looks at the Chiefs and says, I want to be them. Um, and then they have to find the quarterback that can help execute that. I'm not seeing it from Kellen Mond. 
doesn't mean that they can't try again next year or the year after that. Um, but the new regime that comes in here, because in your scenario, I think it has to be a new regime. The new regime that comes in here has to value protection. It's got to value, you know, obviously go like working to find your quarterback until you do, and then building around that quarterback. Um, there's so many what ifs there that, I mean, it all, it all starts with kind of disbanding this, this group, I think of, you know, quarterback coach, everything like you'd have to strip it down to the studs if you want to be the chiefs and, you know, the Vikings haven't really made any steps toward getting to that point. They're pretty bought into their system right now. So we'll see what happens in 2021, but you know, that transformation, I guess, could happen fairly quickly if you put a framework in place after moving on from from the current parties that run the team. Well, I was thinking about 2017, the Kansas City Chiefs with Alex Smith, at quarterback, are in the playoffs playing against the Tennessee Titans, and they have a lead, and they blow that lead, and they lose, and then it's official that they're turning it over to Patrick Mahomes the next year. And they were probably doing it anyway, but if they won the Super Bowl, that would have been a little more tricky to do, right? To just say goodbye, Alex Smith, right? Uh, but that made it very easy for them to move on from Alex Smith, even though he had led the league in quarterback rating. And so I think that there is a lot of things that would have to be done to get to the point where you are the team going into the next year as a Super Bowl contender three years from now, not just a Super Bowl contender, the Super Bowl favorite, uh, which the Vikings, I think there's like 19 teams that have better odds at winning the Super Bowl right now per Vegas. So not that, not, oh, well, you know, if this goes right or that happens or whatever, but to be the premier team that is being picked by everyone in Vegas to be the Super Bowl team, I think all that it takes is next year, getting a quarterback in the first round who is very good and knowing whether they're very good or Christian Ponder is hard to say knowing whether it's Patrick Mahomes or it's Deshaun Watson or it's Mitch Trubisky is hard to know. And the NFL is not perfect with these things, but if this year you go 10 and seven and you're in the playoffs, win a game or lose a game and you have the foundation of this roster and then decide we've got, Smith and we've got Jefferson and we've still got Thielen is prime and cook is still playing well. And this offensive line has all been drafted high. If you place the rookie quarterback in there and he turns out to be great, you've got a chance to be this. It's the only route there. And this is the team that hit with the best player and, and they were already a competent organization. I don't think that this actually has to mean Mike Zimmer gets fired. It has to mean Mike Zimmer has to believe in his quarterback. Because at what we've seen over these three years is the belief be less and less and less. And last year, when you rank 27th in pass attempts, but you're seven and nine with a bad defense, that means your your quarterback. That's what you would have expected if two quarterbacks got hurt. Remember the a few years ago with Washington, where Josh Johnson and Mark Sanchez are playing games for them. That's what you would expect when Adrian Peterson was running the ball 25 times a game for Washington at his age. That's what you'd expect if you ranked 27th in a seven and nine season, you would not expect that from a team with an expensive quarterback. So I think that there is a route there. It's just, would they be willing to take that route? Are they sort of forced into that route at this point by Kirk Cousins contract as much as uh, the belief in him, but even just his contract, we were thinking this before this preseason went off the rails. 
I, I don't think it's insane to talk about the possibility of getting there because it's, you're always just that guy away. Like even new Orleans, think about what a joke new Orleans was forever. Like Aaron Brooks and, you know, it's all these quarterbacks, like Billy Joe Tolliver, who knows, right. Jim, uh, Jim Everett. And then all of a sudden they land Drew Brees and it's just a different universe. I think the Vikings maybe hoped that would have happened here. It hasn't. And so there's always another shot after this. And so that, that, that's when I'm looking at Kansas city uh, on Friday night, that's what I'm going to be thinking about is maybe, maybe a lot of teams are not that far away from that. And Hey, if the guy doesn't turn out to be great that you draft, you just draft another one like the New York jets. So Sorry, I just wanted to toss that in there at the end uh, because I don't think it's as far away as as we feel like it is, but you got to make the play to get there. Yeah, and you know, I think the benefit, if there is any, of passing on Mac Jones and taking someone like Mond is that it's it is a lower level of investment, which might make the team comfortable moving on because they did have to step outside their comfort zone to take a quarterback that early. That's not something that they're used to doing or seem to want to do. So, and they, like we've, what we've also said, they tend to hang on to these draft picks and try to give them more time than they should sometimes. So I think the fear would be is that they attach themselves to the Mond project for too long. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Don't do that. If it's not working, like sometimes you have to make premature decisions like the Arizona Cardinals did to get Kyler Murray and, they were vindicated because Josh Rosen can't land anywhere um, and stay for any amount of time. So that was a great decision by them. Don't make um, a mistake of hanging on to a quarterback that isn't going to get you to the Super Bowl for any amount of time more than you have to. Fifth team is a charm for Josh Rosen, maybe. So, all right, after the game on Friday night, we will have – full podcasting breakdown analysis. I am attempting to convince Courtney Cronin to join us as well for a breakdown after that game. And this is it. Final preseason game, Sam. It has been quite the time to have preseason games back. And uh, I am fully ready for regular season action, but we'll have it broken down. Purple Insider podcast, purpleinsider.substack.com. We're going to have for tomorrow, all of our players who are under pressure for this game. So make sure you check that out. I hope you enjoyed the stream here along with Bring Me the News. And uh, we'll be doing it again next week. Cutdown day will be next week. So we'll have lots to talk about then. Uh, we'll catch you all later. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for watching, everybody.